the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I want to be covered up with that belt of truth. Help me to walk in truth. I want that breastplate of righteousness. And God, I know this. There's no righteousness in me, so clothe me in the righteousness of Jesus. And by the way, God, my mind is a battlefield, so help me capture every thought. Help me to remember your word so that I can make a difference as I walk through this life. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I think sometimes we're we're drinking from the wrong bottle. I've got a little habit. And in fact, when you see me on Sundays, you'll, you'll usually see me with one of these mugs. And you may think it's coffee, but it, it's actually tea. It's called throat coat. I, I talk maybe too much. And so I just want to protect my throat. I drink a lot of that tea. And then just before I, I walk up to preach, it's just a habit. It's not <laughs> mystical or magical, but I'll guzzle a bottle of water. And so just before I came up to preach, I opened the bottle of water backstage in the dark and I began to guzzle and uh, I looked down and saw it was Mandarin orange water, which if I were expecting it, I, I probably would have liked, but I was not expecting it. And I almost, like Jesus said he wanted to do with one of the churches in the Revelation, I almost spewed it out of my mouth. It was just a mess. And it hit me. Sometimes that's what we do, even in church, right? We're well-intended. And so we go through the motions. We'll come to church. We'll even follow the list of do's and don'ts. We'll check off the list. We may open the Bible some and read. But I've come to realize in my secluded life, I, it's kind of been a secluded life. I've been around church people like us all my life. I, I realize I think there's a lot of people drinking from the wrong bottle. We're not experiencing the power of God that I see evidenced in the Word of God. And there's got to be a reason. It, it can't be that we're all just not good enough for something. Maybe we're doing the wrong things. Maybe we're trying to find our power in the wrong places. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you hear from heaven? How do you make sure God shows up in your life, your little corner of the world, right where you are in a way that changes things? The year was 1857. Six men had been led by another man, Jeremiah Lenfear, to begin to gather together for one purpose, prayer. Six men in New York City. Wouldn't it be like most every other small prayer gathering? They may walk away encouraged, but nothing takes place. Not so fast. Not this time, because it was just a few weeks later that those six men had turned into 50,000 people gathering every day at noon in New York City, the world city, for the purpose of prayer. 
And what started with six men in the heart of one man led to what we now call the prayer revival. There have been revivals, seasons of awakening where spiritual people, those who profess to know Christ but whose lives don't demonstrate it, suddenly begin to look and act and talk and be different. Revivals throughout history that impact not just a small area, not just one church, but a region or even a nation. For example, right here in our nation, we had what was called the first great awakening. It took place in 1735. That's a few years back. But when that great awakening took place early in our country, 15% of the population began a relationship with Christ. After that, we had what was called the second great awakening. It took place in the 1800s, 1800 to about 1825, 25 years of a move of God where society was impacted. History records that bars began to shut down. Businesses began to look at things differently. Churches were filled. Lives were changed. Then, of course, in 1857, that was the prayer revival I mentioned. In 1904, there's what was called the Welch Revival because of where it began and how it spread even across the ocean back into this country. And then in 1969, 1969 to about 1971, right here, actually on our opposite coast, California, the land of the fruits, the nuts, and the flakes, right? That's where the Jesus movement started. And we began to see hippies, people that were involved in drug use and, and really experimenting and involved in the sexual freedom that that time period represented, were radically saved. And so now some of the most well-known Christian leaders across the world point back to those couple of years where their life was changed to an awakening. But in each one of these, if you track it back, you find that they have something in common. They all began, not because a church said, let's have a big meeting, let's have a big event, let's make a big building. No, they, they all began with a group of people who were committed to prayer. You want to change your world? You become a person of prayer. Jonathan Edwards once said that prayer doesn't merely lead to revival, but that prayer is revival. You want there to be spiritual change in your life? You feel like you're distant from God. Maybe you don't hear from heaven. You become a person of prayer. And see if that doesn't make a difference. In 1746, Edwards, who was a Puritan preacher, he wrote a book about prayer and revival. And the title of that book says it all, really. Uh, you English teachers, you're going to love this short, uh, this quippy, this easy-to-remember title of his little book that he wrote. Here it is. A humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union among God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth pursuant to scriptural promises and prophecies concerning the last time. You got it? <laughs> you don't see that on the New York Times bestseller list, do you? And yet, what was he saying? He, he was describing that sentiment that he mentioned earlier, that prayer is revival in your life. He, he has several thoughts in there. First of all, humility. And, and we shouldn't be surprised because 
God's word tells us that when we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up. So if you see a person that it's just clear they're full of themselves, as much as I hate to say this, I don't stand in judgment, but if, if a person's full of themselves, they're probably not very full of the Spirit of God, right? Because we have to humble ourselves. Sometimes God does that for us. I've experienced that in my life. And I, I think I can understand why someone would once say, it's doubtful that God can greatly use a man until he's broken him deeply. Humility, that's important. But beyond humility, he, he also talks about other things in this little definition. He talks about unity, that when you come together united in prayer. Look at that definition, that title again. You're united in prayer. Unity in the church. Hey, guys, help me out. Let's put that on the screen again. I, I want you to understand something because this is very important. The reality is... If, if you want to hear from heaven, if you want to seek the face of God, then we come together united. I'm 52. I've been in church all my life. I've never seen a more divisive year in the body of Christ than this year we've just come from. There were all kind of reasons for us to separate and divide. Let me just list a few. Race. Politics. Mask or no mask, opinion. Where do you think that division ultimately comes from? This is what the Bible says. You and I have an enemy, and he is roaming to and fro, and he is seeking to devour us. And he devours us by dividing us. So we want to be unified. I'm, I'm so thankful in this difficult season, by the way, as I look out at one of our greatest crowds in a long time. I'm so thankful that our church has been unified. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Would you just praise the Lord for that? It's not like this everywhere. But we are humble. There's humility. There's unity. And then there's prayer. Prayer becomes a focus. It becomes a main thing. And that brings revival. That brings awakening. If you look at history, you don't have that without intentional prayer. And then what does that do? It grows God's kingdom. And remember, Scripture teaches that God's kingdom is not about politics or who's in office. It's not about that kind of power. God's kingdom is about the rule and reign of a mighty God in every individual life. And so when people humble themselves and, and they come together in prayer, that awakens the spiritual sleeping giant that is in so many of you. And guess what? God's kingdom grows because now your neighbors, your family members, your coworkers, their friends, they don't look at you and me and say, hypocrites. They say, no, that's somebody that's living under the banner of God's kingdom. And when God's kingdom begins to grow, we look like the Bible. Don't you want that? Aren't you tired of people? I'm speaking mainly to those of you who hang out in places like this a lot. Aren't you tired of our friends and our family members not coming here, not being a part of what's so important to us because they say, y'all don't look like the Bible? This is, a, this is a recipe. Do you get it? When we humble ourselves and we unify and we come together in prayer, that brings revival and God's kingdom grows and we begin to look like the Bible and that prepares us for his promised return, for the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what we should live for. 
Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. a revival meeting twice a year because we want to see change. And we've just come through a season where, not at our church, but you go to a lot of churches and all you hear is politics because we think that's what's going to bring change. And it's like we want the fruit of revival, but we never dig down deep for the root of revival. I told you last week, everybody wants to change the world. But most people don't want to take out the trash. We're not willing to do the work to get to where we need to be. So we find ourselves in a crisis. And that's when we cry out to God in prayer. And instead of developing a discipline that literally has a chance to change our life and change the world. And that's what brings us back to the Bible. The book of Acts chapter 1 where we're going to be today. But before we read that I want to pray. And this is as practical of a message as you will ever hear. Because we're talking about how to pray. It's a how-to message. And Jesus taught us how to pray. We call that what? The Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. So when I end this time of prayer, I'm going to invite you to do something a little different. I'm going to pray out loud that model prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me if you know it. Don't be embarrassed if you don't. Not everybody does. If you grew up in the deep south where everybody pretended to be a Christian like I did, we, we said it before every Little League baseball game. Can you believe that? We would put our hands together and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer. And then at the end of it, when we said amen, everybody would go, woohoo, go get them. We're not doing that today in that same way, so to speak. But if you know that prayer, you pray it with me when I get to that point. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, wow, what a great time it has been just to be here in your presence and to worship you. Uh, you're the reason we're here, God. Uh, let me just say that very clear in my life. You're the reason I'm here. I, I don't want anything I have to offer. I want everything you've got to give. So, God, would you teach us what we don't know, including me? Would you give us what we don't have, including me? God, would you make us men and women, even boys and girls, that we've never even dreamt of being yet because we don't have all of you? So, just pepper my words with your seasoning. God, would you let my thoughts even be the thoughts of you? And change lives. Lord, because we know that change lives change the world. And we want all of that as your glory, Lord. So, so we need you to teach us. Just as you taught your disciples to pray when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people gathered said, Amen. So Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He begins the book of Acts by saying this. I'm writing this just as I did my previous work. His previous work was called Luke, (laughs) the gospel of Luke. He said, I'm writing this to tell you everything that Jesus began to do. How many of you know that God's still at work in our lives, right? So he said, I'm writing this to let you know what Jesus began to do. Here's what the Bible said. If God began a work in you, he will what? He'll be faithful to complete it. So you're here. If you know without any doubt, if you died, you were going to heaven, you have a relationship with Christ, whether you've strayed away, whether you've walked away, if you listen to the voice of God, you've got the promise of God that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Isn't that good news? Don't you celebrate that today? Well, Dr. Luke said, hey, I'm going to tell you what Jesus began to do, but then he immediately moves into the departure of Jesus from the physical earth. The Bible tells us that after Jesus was resurrected for the next 40 days, he appeared to more than 500 people. But in this moment, in the book of Acts, he was there with about 120 of his closest followers, the disciples, his family, and some other people that have followed after him. And he looks at them just before he ascends into heaven. That's what we know about Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, a sinless life. He died on the cross, not because of anything he did. He died because of your sin and my sin to take our punishment so we don't have to be punished. He was in the grave for three days. He rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples and others for 40 days. And then what? He ascended to heaven. Just before he ascended to heaven, this is what he said. But you, looking to the people who were gathered there, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your little corner of the world. In Judea, that's the people you can get to. In Samaria, that's your people as well. And then to the ends of the earth. Jesus was reminding his disciples of something I need to remind you of. Every follower of Jesus is called to leverage his or her life with a great commission. Nobody gets a pass. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for the band and the singers or missionaries. Every Christ follower is called to leverage their life as what? A witness of Jesus. So last week after we talked about that, we gave you some practical application just as we're going to do today. And I invited you to come back in the evening and in the midst of a monsoon, a lot of you did come back and you supported uh, the No More Foundation, which had an event just challenging us to be a part of the orphan crisis around us. And I just want to encourage you, church, after that event, they reached out to us and they said after several years, 10 years of doing events, they've never had as many people engage and look for ways to make a difference as they had after the event here last weekend. Well done, church. Good job. We're to be his witnesses. And we can do that by testifying to what he's done, what he's doing, and what that means to us. And we don't do that alone, right? We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus told his disciples, hang out here for a little bit. Someone's coming who's going to be your helper. We knew that was going to happen because Jesus had already told them that in John 14. Remember, in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you so. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come again to bring you to myself. But until then, I'm sending a helper. That helper is the Holy Spirit. We're going to see in a moment when the Holy Spirit came to them. But what we know is when we begin a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. So we've got the power. If you're a Christian, you've got that power. 
Matter of fact, let's just say that together. That, there's a song that kind of says that. It goes like this. I've got the power. You know, that's how, let's say that. Say, I've got the power. <laughs> you are pitiful. All right. So that same power that conquered the grave, it's available to you and me. That's what Scripture teaches. That's amazing. That's why, that's why I think a lot of us are drinking from the wrong bottle. Because some of you are even looking at me like, what? What are you talking about, Willis? I mean, that, you're, you're thinking that can't be true. I don't have that kind of power. Well, that's what Scripture says, so let's see what happened. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. You can, there was great news this week. Israel has opened back up to guests. And uh, so you can visit there like I've done. We'll do again. You can stand on the Mount of Olives and look over into the city of Jerusalem. It's not that far. On the Sabbath, you couldn't work much. You could only do certain things. You could take short walks. And so it was a Sabbath day's walk is what it's saying. It was a short walk that they could get there. And when they'd entered, they went up to the upper room, the same place where Jesus and the disciples had hung out, where they were staying. It tells us who's there, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Elphias, and Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. We know they left off one name from the 12 disciples. Why? Because one had betrayed Jesus, just as Jesus said would happen. All these were there with one accord. They were devoting themselves to, say it, church. They were devoting themselves to what? together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So in Acts chapter 1, you've got this thing that's happening after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus had told the disciples, you got to get busy doing what I've told you to do. And so what did they do? The first thing they do, they come together to pray. Why is it in our lives, prayer is usually the last resort? when it should be our first response. They come together to pray. Then it says they obey the Scriptures. That's a good habit too, right? We're not going to talk about that really this morning, but they did what God told them to do because they were looking at the Scriptures. They sought the will of God because they, they knew they needed to find someone to take Judas's place. You could read about that in the, the last of chapter 1. But it all began with what? It all began as they prayed. And I want you to see what happened as a result of the prayer. Look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, still in one place, praying. Now, Pentecost, just so you understand, Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. Jesus had been with his disciples celebrating Passover, right? Then he was died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again three days. Then he appeared for 40 days. So you see we're right there around the time of Pentecost. It was the time of Pentecost that had arrived. They were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And when you read the rest of this, what it says is that craziness began to happen. Things nobody had ever seen. Because it was Pentecost, there were people from all over the world. Since there were people from all over the world, what did that mean? There were many different languages. Everybody couldn't understand everybody. But Peter got up and began to preach. The other disciples began to speak. And the words that were coming out of their mouth were understood by people from all over the world in their native tongue. It would be like... Those of you in our church, we're blessed. We have about 67 different nations represented in our church today. It would be like if I began to talk and you didn't speak English. You heard what I was saying, 
in your language. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, Peter stopped preaching, and this is crazy. All those people gathered from all around the world, you know what they did? By the thousands, they said, I want some of that. And they turned to Jesus. And you know who was born that day? The church. And when you begin to read the book of Acts, you see that as the church kept being witnesses for Jesus, people were added to the church. And then the church multiplied and the kingdom of God grew. But that shouldn't be a surprise to us because we've already learned if we humble ourselves and in unity come together in what? Prayer. If we do that biblically, then God's kingdom's going to grow. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.